You know, there's times when finding a place to eat can turn into a very real struggle. Um, like, for example, if you are in the Danbury area on a Saturday night and you're just hoping that you will be able to walk into a restaurant and find an open table, um, good luck. And I say that from experience. You may end up settling for a night of fine dining under the, the golden arches of, of McDonald's. Um, <laughs> That is, of course, unless you've planned in advance, if you've called the restaurant and you've booked a reservation, right? And, and that's the key. Uh, some things you don't just want to wing it. Um, you want to you wanna plan things out in advance. And, and by the way, uh, just a reminder, can you believe that uh, Easter is two weeks from today? Um, we are having two services, uh, 9.30 and 11 o'clock service that morning. Uh, but just as a friendly reminder, if you are making your Easter plans and you're thinking about uh, some kind of Easter brunch after church, um, start now, call when you finish uh, at church this morning. Consider this your notification to not wake and, and get on it. Um, but Jesus is the ultimate advance planner, uh, with him, there is no overlooked detail. Nothing gets left to chance. He maps the whole thing out in advance, and it all plays out according to his plan. And, and that applies um, on the best of days, but maybe what's more important for us to understand and recognize is that applies just as much even on the very worst of days. And we've been making our way uh, through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we started way back in September. And between today, uh, next week, Good Friday, the plan is for us to finish up on Easter morning. And uh, the passage that we've come to today, it kind of reminds me of, of what people call the golden hour. You know what that is? That's like those, those last glimpses of sunlight, uh, glorious sunlight as, as, as the sun is setting and the darkness is kind of coming in, there's just these astounding hues of colors. And uh, where we're at in the story of, of the gospel, of Jesus' life and ministries, is that it's just a matter of moments before the deepest darkness is going to descend on him and come crashing down on Jesus. He's on the brink of being arrested of getting beaten, of being nailed to a cross. And, and he's been trying to explain all this to his followers, to his disciples. But despite his best attempts, they have not been able to catch a clue. They just haven't. And so what's about to go down is going to rock their worlds, hit them sideways in ways that they can't even fathom. But here in this golden hour, in these last glimpses of sunlight, Jesus is assuring them that everything that's about to take place is going to happen according to plan. On the very darkest night in the history of our world, when it seemed like everything was falling apart, the game plan was still intact. Not a single detail took him by surprise. And what that means for us is that when the lights go out in our lives and we find ourselves in the middle of our own dark nights, we may not understand it, we, not be, we may not be able to make sense of it, but, but Jesus wants us to know the game plan is still intact, that ultimately it's all going to work out according to, to his plan. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to chapter 14 of Mark, 
And we're going to start in verse 12, and it's going to be right here behind me as well. So let's read it. It says this. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go to prepare for you to eat Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. All right, so here we see that Jesus has made plans in advance. And, and here's the point of this opening story, is that the way that he's taken care of the Passover preparations, that's setting the stage for the way he's taking care of all the plans, for everything that's going to go down after that last supper meal has been finished and they walk out the door. So, so at this point, the disciples are very eager to know what are the dinner plans. Uh, some of us may have kids like this, like, what are we doing? You know, where are we going? Lay it all out. I want to understand. I just need to know that there's some kind of plan that's in place. Anyone have any kids like that? They just want to know, right, that we're not just winging things, right? We're not going to just figure things out as we go because oftentimes we know that failure to plan is planning to fail, right? And, and that would especially apply uh, during the Passover. There were a number of religious regulations that Jesus and his followers, because they were good Jews, they knew they had to abide by. So at this point, the Passover lamb that they brought with them, it would have already been sacrificed at the temple. And so that means that, that they were carrying the meat around with them. Um, Hebrew law required that that meat be eaten that night. It couldn't stay overnight. And it also had to be eaten within the city confines of Jerusalem. And, and remember, uh, Jesus is a visitor and his disciples, they're all visitors to Jerusalem. Their, their hometown is back up north uh, in Galilee. So Jesus is, is not on his home turf in Jerusalem. Uh, they're on a road trip. They're the away team. And, and there's crowds of people flooding into that city for holiday. And, and you know what that's like. If you try to go someplace on a holiday weekend, there's, there's just trouble finding places. Everything is booked. Uh, places to eat would be hard to come by. And so they want to know, Jesus, what is the game plan? And when they ask, here's what they find out, that Jesus has already made all the arrangements. He's already figured it all out. All I had to do was follow what he said. So he lays out some very detailed directions. First, go into the city, look for the man carrying the water jar. He would stand out because typically it would only be the women who would carry the water jars back in that day. Uh, but when you find that man, he'll be expecting, to, he'll be expecting you and, and follow him to where he takes you. And once you get to where he takes you, go to the homeowner and ask him to show you the, the teacher's guest room. Where is that located? He's going to know exactly what you're asking about. He'll take you to this large upstairs room. And once you've gotten there, you have arrived at your destination. So start getting dinner ready, and we'll meet you there in a little bit. 
See, the disciples found out that they didn't have to figure it all out because Jesus already had. All they had to do was follow what he told them. And that's what they did. And it says they set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. Any, any Wazers in the room this morning? You remember Waze, right? How did we ever survive without Waze? You know, some of us remember, right? Remember those days when we had to figure it all out, when, when we had maps in the glove box and they folded up 30 different ways and we had to chart out where we were going and truth be told, we didn't always get to where we were going. Uh, the, the, the maps that we routed out didn't take us to where we always wanted to go because we'd hit like construction or we'd take a wrong turn or you'd end up at a dead end. And yeah, don't you miss that? Right? Remember those days? Remember mom and dad in the seat in front of you arguing about which way to go? Would you please stop at a gas station and ask for directions to which I would always say absolutely not because I am not really lost. I'm just kind of lost. That's, that's how it goes. Now we just turn on ways and we let ways tell us where to turn next. I spent a few days this past week with, uh, with my cousins who I grew up with and had a great time uh, kind of just catching up and reminiscing. And my one cousin mentioned that he had asked his 19-year-old son, would you please drive to the grocery store 10 minutes away to grab a loaf of bread because we're out of bread? And his son answered and said, sorry, Dad, I can't. He said, my phone broke, and without ways, I have no idea how to get there. So why waste those precious teenage brain cells uh, trying to figure things out when you can just listen to ways and, and follow what it says. What this passage is showing us is that we don't have to figure it all out. If you just follow the right directions, you'll wind up at the right destination. And, and that principle applies to way beyond just geographical destinations because the disciples are about to turn a corner and they're going to find themselves in a place that's darker and more confusing and more disorienting than anything they had ever experienced up to that point. It's going to appear as though everything was falling apart around them. Maybe for whatever reason, you find yourself in a place like that today. Everything just seems upside down. You can't seem to make sense of where you are or where you're going or how to navigate through all the twists and the turns. Uh, maybe, maybe this is something you need to hear. You don't have to figure it out. Just follow. Follow what Jesus says, and you will at some point arrive at the right destination because the reality is, is that there is a plan. God is not just winging it with your life, and Jesus on the darkest night on earth, map the whole thing out in advance. And he has your darkest moments mapped out as well. So follow. Listen to what he says and just take that next step of obedience. Let's, let's keep on reading and, and listen in on this dinner conversation and hear how Jesus continues to map things out. It says this, it says, "'And they were reclining at table and eating,' And Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, 
it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. All right, so so much for small talk around the table, right? Uh, Jesus launches into some very heavy-duty conversation. There's, there's none of the usual laughter and joking around that night. Uh, Jesus lays out the reality and maps out the reality of how the next several hours are going to play out with both his disciples as well as with him. The subject, the subject matter is solemn, but here's the thing, none of it is a surprise. Every last detail is a part of the plan. So first thing is, is this revelation that one of Jesus' closest friends is going to be a, a traitor. Someone who's been living life beside him for the past three years is about to betray him. And it's actually someone who's sitting right there in that room at the table eating dinner amongst them. You know, I, I can't help but wonder if this is Jesus reaching out to Judas one last time, calling him to, to give up on his schemes, to come clean and change course. But we know that that wasn't about to happen. Judas's heart was hardened granite at this point. He was hell-bent on delivering Jesus over to the authorities. And of course, Jesus, Ju- Judas bears full responsibility for his actions And yet even this heart-wrenching act of betrayal, what it ultimately does is it serves to take Jesus just one step closer to accomplishing the mission that he had come there to do, right? And And so make no mistake, the hurt of that betrayal must have been brutal to Jesus. Betrayal is by nature. That pain must have cut Jesus' heart like a knife. But it didn't take him by surprise, The plan had been in place for hundreds of years. Centuries earlier in Psalm 41, verse 9, David, King David wrote about it. He said, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And Jesus references that passage, and he says, you know what? That passage was really written about me, just like all of the Bible And, and, and so this betrayal that's about to happen is not some kind of oversight. The plan had always been for the Son of Man to go as it is written of him, betrayed by a close, trusted friend. And that then leads into the next topic, topic of conversation, and that is what is going to happen to Jesus. He picks up these two staple food items from the table, and he uses them to explain to the disciples the horrible things that are about to happen to him. First, he picks up this loaf of bread, and he does four very specific things with it. And, and it's, it's careful in the passage to, to, to just articulate this. Number one, says he takes the bread. Number two, he blesses it. Number three, he breaks it. And then finally, number four, he gives it to the disciples. 
And if any of that might just sound vaguely familiar to you if you've been following us through our journey through markets, because we have seen that before, and so have the disciples Twice before, to be specific, maybe you remember back when Jesus fed the 5,000. And then after that, he fed the 4,000 with these few loaves of bread. And it's no coincidence that he did the exact same thing then. Both times, he took the loaves, he blessed them, he broke them, he gave them, and it fed many. And those miracles, they were about more than just filling empty stomachs. They were pointing to what Jesus had ultimately come to accomplish all along. He breaks the bread and he tells them, this is my body. He's explaining to them that the reason he came was for his body to break. That the suffering that he was about to endure, it wasn't due to some kind of lapse in planning on his part. The plan from the very start had been for his body to break. The very reason Jesus was born, why he came into our world, was to die, to give his life for you and for me. And it's through his death that he is able to give our hungry souls what we need most, forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation. He picks up the cup, and again, he returns thanks, and he gives it to them. And and after they all drink it, he explains the same thing that that his blood is like the wine in that cup. It would be poured out just like the blood of the lamb that they were eating around that table had been poured out as a sacrifice on the altar. Jesus came to shed his blood and be the ultimate sacrifice, a sacrifice so powerful that it would do nothing less than enact a brand new covenant. Uh, That was the plan, that through Jesus' sacrificial death, that he would open up a new door and make a new way for broken down sinful people to be made right and come near to God. And so it's because of Jesus' broken body, it's because of his shed blood that the way to God would be changed forever. And so there was that old covenant. It was this covenant that required animals to be offered and at the altar for sin and He's saying, that, that's done, that's finished. It served its purpose while it was there, but, but after the cross, that whole system would be outdated and irrelevant. What Jesus was about to do would mark the end even of Passover itself because Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He offered himself as the ultimate Passover lamb. He was sacrificed, it says, for the many, and that many includes you and it includes me. So the old is gone, the new has come, or as Jesus has been uh, just showing us all throughout this this gospel, new wine needs new wineskins. And so what Passover was to that old covenant is the the, the Lord's Supper, or, or what we call communion, is to the new covenant. The bread and the cup are these rich symbols. Through them, we remember, we celebrate that ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made. They remind us that Jesus' death was not an accident. It was a part of God's plan. They remind us that the whole sacrificial system was all leading to and pointing to this defining moment in history when Jesus, the sinless son of God, went to the cross 
for us. And they remind us that all that we are is not the byproduct of how good we are and all that we've done. Everything we are, whether it's forgiven, redeemed, accepted, that's all because of of Jesus and how good he is and everything that he's done for us. That's the reason why we call this horrible instrument of execution, we call it the wonderful cross. That's why we call the night Jesus died on the cross, Good Friday. Because it was through the most horrible means that Jesus accomplished the most wonderful salvation. So let's keep on reading. And we'll see that as Jesus is going to map out now the, the final destination. He says, when, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So where is this all leading to? Where is that final destination? The final destination is back together with Jesus. The final destination is restored and together with him again. Jesus assures them, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, prior to that reunion taking place, more horrible things are going to happen. Right? He explains to his disciples that every one of them, without exception, are going to fall away. The Greek word is scandalon, and it's where we get the word scandal from. It's, it means being fooled into deserting someone who ought to be trusted in, someone you ought to be faithful to. And what's waiting for that, that's what's waiting for the disciples in the next scene. In just the minutes ahead, they're about to fail the one who has been faithful to them from the very start. They're about to abandon Jesus at the very moment when he needed companionship most. And so Peter protests, no way. Maybe the rest of them are going to deny you, but I'm not. And this is, this is pride on full display, center stage. He is quite certain that he is better than the rest of them. But he's wrong. In fact, Peter fails in the most spectacular fashion of all. But Jesus reminds them that even their abandonment is part of the plan. It says, for, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is the way it's going to play out. It's a quote from Zechariah, from the Old Testament. It actually originated from the mouth of God, of the Lord himself. And so Jesus is emphasizing here, this is, this is the Father's will. The Father's will is to strike the Son, to lay on him the sins of the world, for him to bear the full punishment for them. And that body blow is gonna fall on him instead of you. That's the whole point. Instead of me, he took that, and so we don't have to. And because of that, our failures are not final. 
Jesus assures them that on the other side of his death is going to come resurrection. He explains, guys, I'm going to rise. The power of death is going to be destroyed. And even after his closest followers have failed him, they've abandoned him. They've scattered like flies. The good shepherd, he says, is going to gather them back. And we're going to be together again. And it's because of everything that's happened. It's not despite everything that's happened. It's because of it. Their failures wouldn't be final because Jesus walked that road alone to that hill at Calvary. He died and he paid that price. And he rose victorious over sin and over death. And he rose again with life and redemption and forgiveness that's powerful enough to forgive, to absorb, to resolve even our most spectacular failures. Can you fathom that? He says, I'll go before you in Galilee. You know, in that moment when it seems like everything is over, Jesus is assuring them it's not. He's telling them, I have booked a reservation for us in Galilee. Meet me there. Your failures are not going to be big enough to cancel my reservation. Your running away isn't going to stop this reunion from happening. Even death isn't going to deny us that. That's, that's the power of the cross. And it's almost like it's just the opposite. These are, these are the means through which his plans and his purposes get accomplished. In other words, he did it all. Like, like we just sang, Jesus did it all because that's exactly what we needed. We needed nothing less than the sinless son of God to leave his throne in heaven, come here on earth and do it all. Because truth be told, we're just like the disciples, aren't we? Right? We fail him in fabulous ways. And so the thought of us doing anything to earn, to deserve what Jesus has done for us, isn't that ridiculous? He, he's done it all, and he gives it to us. Just like that bread, he gives it to them. We simply receive it. We receive what he's done. So your Savior is not winging it. He didn't wing it on the cross, and he's not winging it with your life either. And so when you find yourself in that dark night of your own soul, understand this, know this, rest assured in this reality that your Savior has a plan. He has things all figured out. And in the midst of the midnight darkness, it doesn't always seem that way, and that's okay. We may not understand it, and that's okay. We, not, we may not be able to make sense of it, and that's okay. At some point, the darkness will be over. The dawn will rise, and it will make sense. But until then, here's what we need to know. We don't have to figure it all out. We can simply follow. Follow his lead. Take that next step of obedience and watch his story continue to play out. I can't think of a better way to close our, uh, our, our time, uh, our message this morning than by receiving communion and uh, just, just following up with what we've just read here about this precious uh, celebration, this opportunity to remember um, 
all that Jesus has done for us. And so if, you would, uh, if you'd like to receive the elements, uh, if you didn't get them on your way in, um, we've got a basket there with some of them, and you can feel free to, to grab those. And, and this, is, this is, like we said, just an, an opportunity to remember, to reflect, to let gratitude pour out as we remember that day when Jesus went to the cross and did for us everything, when he paid the price in full. And just as we receive the cup and the bread, we receive him and all that he's done for us.